You are listening to the audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, by Mitch Maloney, read by the author. Chapter 8 Night of the Lithuanian Chupacabra They say Edinburgh is a city with a split personality, and walking along the cobblestone streets, it's easy to see why. Ancient, crumbling, dusty, castle-like buildings sit right next to even more ancient, more crumbling, dustier, castle-like buildings. Everywhere I go, it seems, a thick gray fog follows me around, probably on account of the street urchin I've paid to follow me around and waft me with a portable fog machine. I want to get the full Edinburgh experience, after all. In addition to the fog-wafting urchin, I'm walking with Stuart Lee, the famous by UK standards comedian who until recently had the best reviewed show ever in the history of the fringe. And note one. I'm glad you liked the show so much, I tell him, but I'm still not sure if the audience is getting it in the right way. They're laughing in all the wrong places. The more sincere and confessional and apologetic I get, the harder they laugh. How can I make them understand that this comedy show isn't supposed to be funny? How do you do it, Stuart? He tells me the key to a good fringe show is finding the right combination of condescension and self-deprecation. I nod in agreement, but to be honest, I'm not sure what he means. English people are full of these fancy words, and don't even get me started on those phony accents. He says, Seems to me, right? And if your old point at this way dinkling character is this horrible influence on all these right-wingers, right? That you feel so terrible about. And maybe you should go ahead and become him for a bit, yeah? Feels like as punches being pulled, right, mate? There's no way in this world I can allow myself to become the Lithuanian chupacabra in front of an audience, I tell him. He's too unpredictable, too dangerous. Besides, Wade only really comes out when I'm on Yellow Onyx and I can't risk throwing my career away on drugs. We arrive at the Banshee Labyrinth, an underground haunt popular among the fringe performers that's actually supposed to be haunted. It's true what they say about Scotsmen. They're a superstitious, cowardly lot. Can you imagine thinking that a pub is haunted just because it used to be a dungeon where an insane nobleman used to torture witches to death? The sign on the door says no fog wafting, so I toss the urchin a dunce coin and tell him to hit the cobblestones. The barkeep inside tells me he doesn't have any Charlie Six, so I try something local instead, called the Glen Riddance. It tastes like liquid garbage, or, as the Scots say, peaty. I choke down a couple of swigs, but then the darndest thing happens. My glass lifts itself straight up off the table and smashes itself against the wall. Just then I see a tall woman more striking than beautiful, with a powerful chin, buggy eyes, high British forehead, and thin as a rail. It's the queen of the fringe herself, 
creator and star of the big hit show of the fest, Phoebe Bridgerton Wallers. She really stands out in the crowd with that spandex bodysuit with a skeleton sewn onto it and her long platinum blonde hair. Maybe I'm sore that her show Sleazebag is getting better reviews than my own. Or maybe the Glen Riddance has twisted my brain into thinking that everyone in Scotland thinks they're better than me. But I decide to give her a piece of my mind. As I walk over to her, a stool slides across the floor and stops right in front of me, like it's trying to block my path. Scotland's starting to get on my nerves. I tell her I'm not just some crass American comic who leans on crude impressions for a cheap laugh, you know. I also come out of the rich Canadian comedic tradition. Is that right? asks Phoebe. You mean like, de trailer park boys and just for laughs gags? That's right, I tell her proudly. And I also have a great appreciation for the rich history and subtle complexities of British humor. What do you know about Carol? she asks intensely. You mean Carol Cleveland, the blonde bombshell from Flying Circus? She's fine, I guess. No, no, she cuts me off. Lewis Carroll. Plenty, I tell her. She swings her massive eyeballs over toward the door and thrusts them out, as if to say I should follow her. Now we're outside in the alley, and she's looking around to make sure we're alone. What do you have to tell me about Carol? Well, let me see. The Annotated Alice was my favorite book as a kid. I once played the Cheshire Cat in a community theater show. I adapted Looking Glass for a directing project once, when I was in college. She looks confused. Oh, sorry, uni, I translate for her. Don't tell me you reset it as some kind of beatnik druggy thing. How could she have known that, I wonder? She must have a team of researchers studying up on all of her fringe festival rivals. She's shaking her head and rubbing her brow. Anything else? Well... I memorized the hunting of the snark when I was in high school for a forensics competition. She leans in. Now she's interested. Has it ever occurred to you that if you rearrange the letters into full title, The Hunting of the Snark, an agony in eight fits, it spells out Hunt the King of Hearts, a non-gay in fine tights? Dear Lord, she's right. What do you think all that business about painting the roses red was really about? I shrug my shoulders to indicate my not knowing. In the Victorian dimes, roses was slang for prostitute. Did you know that? I shrug some more. Anyway, what do you know that's supposed to help me with my assignment? I stare at her blankly. Isn't that why you met me here? I keep staring barely understanding her words, let alone their meaning. Come on, mate. I was sent here to meet somebody with important info about Carol. I was told to wear this glow-in-the-dark skeleton outfit and wig and talk with the bloke in the leader ozen. You mean these? I ask, gesturing towards the short leather pants I'm wearing. Just trying to blend in with the locals, I say. And just then a dead body crashes through a window and falls down onto the cobblestones just a few feet away. It's none other than Richard Iowati. He also just so happens to be wearing lederhosen. Phoebe looks around, as though she senses danger. She hops on her sleek, vintage Triumph Tigress scooter and vamooses into the darkness. I just stand there looking at dead Richard Iote for a minute, when Johnny Vegas, of all people, steps out and asks me for a f***. 
Excuse me, I ask. Don't be such a he says. Johnny was even harder to understand than most of the Scotsmen in Edinburgh or the other Brits I'd met here. And it definitely didn't help that he was up and properly as he tells me between rounds of projectile vomiting. I ask him if he knows someplace I could go and hide out. Even heard. The aliens are here right now. It's true. There was a congressional hearing months ago. And they admitted, publicly, that ETs have been visiting the planet Earth. And what is science doing about this exactly? Well, it turns out, they're sending them nudes. That's right. Did you hear about this? NASA has been sending pictures of naked human beings right out there into outer space for the whole universe to have a look. What happens if they like what they see? Are these so-called scientists even thinking these things through at all? And you probably weren't even aware of that because you're too busy doing... Sorry, what have you been doing exactly? Oh, well, I live in a liberal pedotropolis and I play Wordle and I watch Jeopardy and I check books out from the library and I call myself a comedian and I'm making a podcast. Oh, really? You're not even a comedian, bro. George Carlin was a comedian. Richard Pryor was a comedian. A comedian isn't afraid to offend people, okay, motherfucker? That's kind of the point, actually. A comedian doesn't worry about things like gender pronouns and representation and critical race theory and medical science. A real comedian isn't afraid to say fag or cunt, okay? You're not a comedian. You think you're a fucking comedian? You're not a comedian. You're a fucking laughtivist. That's what you are. Why is it for some reason okay to do an over-the-top, terrible British accent... But heaven forbid you do a black guy voice or a Mexican guy voice or someone with Down syndrome, right? Can you imagine? Why do you think that is? Could it be because they feel ashamed of who they are? Well, not me. And yet I'm the one getting deplatformed again and again. Why is that? Because of a made-up country called Diagolinolium? That's obviously a joke? A meme? An idea? I jest, okay? Can't you even tell the difference? I am not even real, right? I must be a fictional character or a figment of your imagination. Um, the last time I checked, chupacabras weren't an actual thing, okay? Now that I think about it, I'm not 100% sure that Lithuania is a real place either. I think that's where my grandparents came from, but how can I be sure? So why do you think they want to silence Wade Dinklington, hmm? Could it be that I'm telling the truth? That I'm poking through their fantasy world that they're living in? Well, I'm not going to shut up. And I'm not going to go away. Their days of controlling the narrative are coming to an end. They think I'm crazy and they live in the real world. But the fact is that they're the ones living in a fantasy world. They call me a conspiracy theorist. But they have it backwards. Because I tell the truth. And they are the conspiracy. And by the way, medical science is the biggest false flag of them all. Remember that pandemic that they used to enslave you, to make you compliant? Doesn't it strike you as a little bit odd that that whole global pandemic thing just disappeared? Isn't it funny how that works? That Dunce Pharma whom you probably never even heard of before, just came along out of nowhere and wiped it out overnight like that. 
Did you even know that the same parent company that makes Dunscoin, which is well on its way to becoming a global currency as we speak, by the way, also happens to be the same company that supposedly cured the supposed pandemic? Hmm, I wonder why you never heard that before. I'll tell you why. Because you've been getting your information from Dunsflix or from your Dunce phone. They aren't even real people. Okay? They live in places like Ottawa, or Toronto, or Seattle, or Los Angeles. But in a sense, they don't even actually live there, okay? They live on the internet. They make up stories for their podcasts. They live in their own fantasy world. They don't know what it's like to live in a real place like Mosquito Neck, Alberta. Well, guess what, motherfucker? We wouldn't want to live in your crime-ridden pedotropolises if you paid us to. We're the real people that live in that stripe in the middle that reaches from the tip of Florida to the top of Alaska and the western provinces of Canada. You know, the good parts. The parts where the natural resources and all of the food comes from. Let's see if you still like living in Brooklyn or San Francisco when there's no more food or fuel, motherfucker. We're the real people, and we have the same values. Like, for instance, we happen to value human life. And we're willing to kill for it if that's what it takes. Or even any kind of life. How about that? Like, if there's a question about if something is alive, then maybe we should err on the side of not killing it. How about that? Whether it's a human fetus or a sub-microscopic virus, maybe we shouldn't be murdering it, okay? And definitely not using medical science. Sorry, but that's what we believe here in Diagolonia. And we're not going away. Fuck you. I don't want violence. I want the opposite of that. But in order for that to happen, people need to listen. And I will stop at nothing to make them acknowledge reality. They call me an accelerationist. You're damn right I'm an accelerationist. If the world is going to go down in a massive civil redacted, let's start it now. Let's just cut to the chase. If this whole world is going to blow up in some massive explosion, then bring it on. What are we waiting for? Just cut to the fucking chase. My best to hold on to Phoebe as the scooter rattles along at breakneck speed away from Piccadilly Circus and down a steep cobblestone exit ramp. I turn around to see two police buggies ram into each other exploding into flames and blocking all of the other vehicles that were pursuing us. I just have to laugh thinking about the flaming corpses of the people in those buggies. We speed through Trafalgar Square and pull up to the performer's entrance in the alley behind the Prince of Wales Theatre with just enough time for me to get ready for the London premiere of The Chupacabra Within. Tell Kara she's a lucky lady. There ain't a lot of blokes like you, Mitch. She gives me a wink. And say hi to your mysterious cryptographer, I tell her. He sounds mysterious. He's a right good rail, he is, if that's what you mean. I mask my nausea with a weak smile. Keep it sleazy, Phoebe. Aren't you forgetting something? Of course, in all the excitement, I had almost forgot the manuscript. The original handwritten Alice's Adventures Underground, still tucked under my jacket. I toss her the book, and she gives me a final salute and flies away into the night. 
While on stage, I drift off a little bit in my mind. Life is pretty funny, I guess, to think that just a few days ago, I was in Scotland, getting snookered at snooker by the mighty Bush guys, or fighting over the jukebox with Romesh Ranganathan, or passing out on the ghost island of Cremond in the Firth of Forth with Johnny Vegas, and then waking up only to find that we were stranded because the tide had come in, but then luckily a Loch Ness monster came by and let us ride on its back over to the shore, and now here I am, premiering my one-man show for a sold-out audience in London's West End. Yep, life can be pretty funny that way. As soon as I step off stage for intermission, two nondescript Scotland Yard agents are waiting for me. They tell me I'm under arrest for theft of a cultural artifact from the British Museum. Oh sure, now the British Museum is upset about cultural artifacts getting stolen. I tell the coppers that they can't arrest me because they're outside of their jurisdiction. Oh so, a bobby asks me. Well, you fellas are from Scotland Yard, isn't that right? They nod. Well, it just so happens that we're in London right now, which I recently learned isn't even in Scotland. Shockingly, this detail, which you would think would make a pretty big difference, doesn't stop them from cuffing me. Okay, okay, I switch my tactics. What if I were to tell you that the newly crowned king that you're working for is actually part of an aristocratic conspiracy to hide from the public the fact that your beloved Lewis Carroll, a.k.a. mild-mannered mathematician and amateur child pornographer Charles Dodgson, was also a.k.a. none other than Jack the Ripper himself. But they just shrug this off too and exchange glances like they think I'm the crazy one. Fortunately, I'm not at the station very long before they tell me I can go. Bail has been posted and all of the legal paperwork has been taken care of. But who would? And then I see the name on the bailout paperwork. This audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, the Mitch Maloney story, was made possible by the Seventh Reformed Church of Latter-day Witnesses, the Bleepers. <laughs>